Okay, let's go to the scripture. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, starting in verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has been made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I just want to take a moment, Lord, to pray for our nation, for, um, for all of our leaders, Lord, from our president all the way down to our state and local representatives and our local government here in Buell. The world is getting darker by the day. Lord, but your word says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. We pray, God, that you help us to be that light, that people would see our light shining and that our light would be duplicated until the darkness is driven out. God, I pray for any person in the congregation or the community who's struggling with sickness or, or fear or anxiety. Uh, these things are... Uh, so common in our society today, and it seems like we just encourage them rather than seek healing from them. And so, Lord, we give this service to you. We ask and invite your Holy Spirit to come and to dwell in each one of us in a powerful and mighty way, opening our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear the message you have for us today. Lord, I pray for Pastor Jackie as he brings the message um, and that you speak through him. Lord, we're just so grateful for all that you do, and we seek to glorify you in all that we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God's still good. Um. Hey, a couple of folks to keep in prayer this week. Um, I'm sure many of you know about the Kadesh family. Uh, Jim Joe and Jimmy Joe, Jim Joe Sr. and Jimmy Joe Jr. both died in a fire. 
their funerals will be here on the 28th of August. So if you think about it, <clears throat> it's going to be one of those days. <sighs> Pray for their family. Also, uh, one of our own, Alex, had an accident and uh, broke both ankles. So uh, you want to keep them in prayer as well. Um, I'm sure there's others I don't, I don't know about, but it's been one of them kind of weeks. So let's keep one another, uh, one another lifted up. In uh, 1 John, we come to a section this morning. It's going to frustrate Rachel because I don't think any of the verses I use are going to be back there. <laughs> Sorry. And I'm the one who put them in. So we'll see how it works. We, as we've been working our way through 1 John, I don't want us to lose our grounding, okay? The person who makes all things possible that John is calling us to, two things primarily so far as main points that we want to keep in mind, love one another, beware deception. Love one another, beware deception. Who's the person that makes it possible for us to overcome those things? That's Jesus Christ. The word of life, that's what John said. The word of life, it makes it possible. But there's something that gets in the way, right? Sin. So John writes to us and he says, look, sin's going to get in the way. That's, and sin got in anybody's way this week? Okay. Sin's going to get in the way. What, as, what do we do as believers? Confess our sin and he will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and we can stay on track. Nothing in this world, this place of chaos, is ever going to reach a point where you have all the things you used to have, or it just doesn't stay the same. Us old people, we always look back and we go, I wish for those days. Do you know that, that the Bible tells us not to do that? Because we spend so much time looking backwards for those days where we had great joy. They were good days. But we spend so much time looking backwards where we're not any good for now. And for what God's doing next. And the next thing might not be enjoyable at all. Has the Lord ever walked you through something you didn't enjoy? So you, it might not be fun. It might not be a great joy for us. But we can't look back and say, I want that. I don't get that no more. We live in a linear time, right? There's no going back. There's no reset buttons. There's no start overs. There is. Hold on to Christ. Confess your sin. Put one foot in front of the other. Keep moving forward. The enemy is always going to come during that time. He's going to come and he's going to sow seeds of discord. He's going to sow... Uh, division, he's going to sow deception. That's why John says, beware deception. Remember I told you, John writes like a song. And in a song, we sing a verse and then we sing a chorus. And then we sing a verse and then we sing a chorus. So the verse for John is, my little children love one another. The chorus is, beware deception. Beware deception. So we find ourselves in another verse this week, again, focused on love but just last week we were talking about deception 
So he's saying, look, I want you to love one another. God tells us this a lot. You want to guess why? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that on the, on the air. Maybe, maybe the, the mic picked it up. I really want to say it, but I'll offend somebody. We're not very good at it. If we were good at it, he wouldn't tell us over and over again. You look at things in the Bible where God says over and over and over and over again, like, fear not, do not be afraid or dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wheresoever you go. Why does he tell us that so often? Because we forget. We think we're alone. We think he's not here. We think I'm just stuck in this dark cave like Elijah. I'm in this dark cave and, and the Lord comes and says, what are you doing here? Do you know why Elijah was there? He's looking back, man, the old days of Israel were so screwed up now. He thought he just won this incredible victory, right? The Lord sent fire from heaven, devoured this, this offering in front of all these spectators who are watching. The whole world on CNN is watching Elijah call fire from heaven, devour this thing. The people seem like they're going to make a move toward the Lord. And he runs into Jezebel and Jezebel says, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. Elijah, one day you'll be dead and forgotten. This is never going to change. The hearts of men are not going to change. So Elijah runs away. Jumps in a cave. And God says, what are you doing here? Well, <clears throat> I want... I want the days of old, but the days of old were not all that good either. And he says, I'm the only one left. Nobody else is faithful, to which God laughs. Whatever, dude. I got thousands who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Then he asks the question again, why are you here? The, the point of that story in Elijah is he forgot. God is with me. I'm not alone. God is with me. But, but Lord, all these things are screwed up. God is with me. But Lord, it's th they're saying this or they're doing that or this, that, the other thing, whatever, it doesn't matter. The Lord is with you. And that's what God taught Elijah in the cave. I'm with you. It's not about the big fire. It's not about the big storm. What did he tell him? Still, small voice. If you and me are honest, most of the time through our journey, our daily walk with God, we know there's a still, small voice. You hear Jiminy Cricket all the time, don't you? Now, sometimes I don't hear him because I'm tuned out or whatever, but I know, and, and I don't mean to, I'm not trying to, to, to make that small, I'm just saying you hear the small voice. You know when the Lord is talking to you. You know when he's displeased with your direction. I am reminded by my children all the time. There's two, two verses I told my kids their whole life. Um, and one of those, my kids remind me all the time, the wrath of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. It was funny because when we were in St. Louis on our motorcycle trip, we got passed by a 
person. <laughs> we were in the fast lane, and we're, we're probably doing 80 in the fast lane, and I don't know what, this guy got mad or whatever. He passed us on the shoulder uh, in the fast lane, in St. Louis, in traffic, and didn't miss us by much. So I told Kathy, I don't, I'm not sure you can put a piece of paper between my fender and him. And just so you know, your preacher lost his witness altogether. <laughs> I chased that dude down the freeway. You want to, I know you guys think I drive crazy, but you let the old man out of the cage for a while and you ain't seen nothing yet. And it was funny because it was, it's, I think Dave, Dave is also guilty. Dave and Lori were behind me, but, but I was leading them. So it's my fault, but we're, we're, we're chasing him. And in the very beginning of going after him, you know, and, and I didn't do nothing bad. I, I looked at his face in his mirror and I did this. In, in St. Louis, that might carry more weight than it does other places. I don't know. But I was pretty sure if I'd have had one, it would have been bad news. Uh, makes me mad. I thought he was going to kill my wife. Anyways, the point is, I don't care if I die, but Joe be upset if mom's gone. So, so we're going, and initially Kathy's with me. You know, she's like, I, I, I feel her energy like, yeah, get him. <laughs> and, then, and then about half a mile, three quarters of a mile, uh, she starts rubbing my shoulders. So I, I let, I put the monster back in a cage and I, I let him go. And I hear these words echoing in my mind, the wrath of man will not accomplish the righteousness of God. So we get off and we stop at a gas station. Jonathan, it was funny because Jonathan said when, when we went past him, he, he looked over at Rochelle and he said, I think there's about to be some vigilante justice. <laughs> so we stopped at the gas station. We got a, a, something to drink and we're sitting at the gas station. And as I walk by Jonathan, he says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. <laughs> yes, the things you say when you're a preacher, they all come back. Why does God say it so much? Because we forget. We, the reason why we can laugh at these stories is because we experience the same thing, right? The Bible says that you and I, mankind, we're members of one another, especially in the church. And there's nobody different. There's somebody doesn't, it's not somebody who doesn't have it. People may be better dealing with it. Amen. People may be better dealing with it than others, but we all have our struggles, right? And the Lord has to remind us and remind us. So he says in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, <clears throat> I almost can't read the scripture without singing the song from Sunday school. Uh, it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Now, I'm supposed to do six verses. <laughs> I don't know. Stand by. The love we are to love one another with is not the love we normally experience. The word here is agapeo. When he said, tells us to love one another, he wants us to love one another agapeo, with agape 
love. People call that the love of God. I call it self-sacrificing love. It's love that there's a lot of ways we try to describe it because, I mean, let's, let's face it, we can't define it. We can't. We can't define it with a simple phrase, sacrificing love, but it's more than that. A love that doesn't uh, ask anything in return. Well, sort of. Uh, a love that, that God bestowed upon us. Absolutely. There's only one place that defines the love that God talks about. And it's in his word. Because everything that we need is found in God's word. Everything we battle with in terms of what our personality issues and our struggles in life is, the answers are found in God's word. The willingness to be obedient. John talked about that too, right? Two ways we know we belong to God. We love one another and we keep his commandments. Oh, there's one. Look, don't start worrying about the crazy ones. You just worry about the ones that you can't do. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. But Lord, no, there's not a but Lord phrase there. Right? You guys familiar with it? Sermon on the Mount. Ever heard of it? That's the longest message we have recorded in scripture that Jesus preached. We want to be obedient which requires us to humble ourselves, step out of our pride, and say, yes, Lord. Even when everything inside of us doesn't want to do it. Do you ever feel like that? Uh, everything inside of me doesn't want to obey, doesn't want to, you know what? I'm, I, I want to let the old man out of the cage. I want to do all, I just want to, I'm done. I finish. I throw my hands up in the air, and here's what, the Lord wants to hear from you. Yes, Lord. Yes. He says here in 1 John 4, 7, let us love one another. That's agape. And then the second phrase is, for love is from God. It does not come out of your heart. Okay? It's not your emotional psychopathic craziness that makes us do dumb things when we're looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That's a different word altogether. This word is something God calls us to walk in. And it's something that God says that he gives us. We want to be able to, to, to define it, and I'm not going to use no dictionary. I'm going to use the Bible. So if you turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 13, this is the only place that will define God's agapeo. It's interesting because I guess there is in some aspect a way that man does have agapeo. Because the Bible says man agapes the dark. You know, it's funny. I have never had to use self-control when blessing someone. I have never had to use self-control when, when encouraging or edifying. You know when I have to use self-control? From all the stuff that comes bubbling out of my insides that wants to 
you know, run in the world like Godzilla and pull down all the buildings and all this chaotic emotion I don't know what to do with. The Bible says that Jesus came, but men agape the darkness rather than the light. That was the one time we naturally have expressed this love that God talks about. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, what's it say? So, so let me, I'm just going to do some paraphrasing and talking about these things, but I just want you guys to think about it. Because we all need to make some changes. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, if I, I'm, it's pointless. I'm just making noise. I think, you know, every time I do worship, I, I pray that God won't make me cry the whole time. And you guys make me cry the whole time. So, I don't know, Lord of hosts, I started bawling and I couldn't get it together. So, you're lucky I sang any lines on the rest of the songs. But the point is, when we worship God and we're focused on his his value and his worthiness and what he's done for us. If you're not crying, I, I don't know what you're thinking of. And even if I try to sing while I'm crying and I sound like a baboon, it's better than speaking with the tongues of men and of angels without love. He says, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mystery and all knowledge and I have all faith, so I can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, but I don't have love, it's no good. So you could go into a hospital and pray healing on people, but if you don't have love, even if they get healed, it was no good. So how important is this love that God's talking about? That every single thing he measures everything else by is measured by this love. That you and I don't get in us, it ain't there natural, except to do it wrong. We naturally can do everything wrong, okay? Do you guys know that? I naturally can do any, everything wrong. I will say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing naturally. If I just trust in my own, that's how it'll go. He says, if I give away everything I have and I give my body to be burned, a, a death by martyrdom, but I don't have love, it was no good. It's no good. And then he defines it. Love is always patient and kind. This definition is a description of what love is. It's not like love is this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but Thursday, Friday, it takes a day off. No, this is the character of the love God's talking about. Love is patient. Has the Lord been patient with you? Was the Lord patient with the nation of Israel? Has he been patient with the United States? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. 
We all want to feel good about what we do, huh? But love don't do that. Love's okay with you having your moment in the spotlight. You guys know how we do it. We sit down and start measuring scars. Oh, check. You think that's something? Check this out. Oh, man, yesterday I had such a bad day. Yeah, I know I had the worst day ever. You know what I mean? He says, he says love doesn't envy. It's not, it's not looking to one-up. No, there's no one-up in it. It just doesn't envy it. It will rejoice, but it, it won't envy. It doesn't want what someone else has. It just wants to rejoice. It won't boast in, their, in ourself. Second, or Philippians chapter 2 Verse 3 says that in the heart of Christ, the attitude of Christ was thinking more about others than himself. That's the inaction love that God's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not envy, it's not boast, it's not arrogant, and it's not rude. That's, that's my wheelhouse right there. You know, Maybe arrogant, I don't know, maybe I'm arrogant too, but I am rude. And I like it. <laughs> but it's not love. It's not love. I think it's funny sometimes. I like when I'm rude and somebody laughs, I go, yeah, that's what I was going for. Somebody think that was, I can't believe he said that. Yeah, my wife can't believe it either. This love does not insist on its own way. This love says, hey, you want to do it that way? Okay, let's go. Crazy, no? Does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful, so it doesn't bear grudge. Doesn't carry resentment. This love of God it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. I love how uh, King James, New King James says, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Doesn't, it's not happy about sin. It doesn't want to watch it, doesn't want to see it, doesn't want to be around it, doesn't make an excuse for it, does not rejoice with it. Part of the issue in our world is our world is clamoring, making laws and rules by which you must rejoice over someone else's sin. But God says, oh, love of God doesn't do that. Sin's not something to be rejoiced over. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but it does rejoice in the truth. It bears what kind of things? It believes. It hopes. It endures. So if you're wondering, well, would love bear with this? What did we just read? It love bears with what? Has God bore with you? Has the Lord bared with you? Has he stayed with you? Is the Lord of hosts still call on your name? Does he still have patience for you and love for you and concern for you? Yeah, he does all those things, right? Verse 8, love never, here I like the ESV, 
love never ends. In our world, we hear this phrase a lot. I just don't love you anymore. But God's love, you don't ever hear that. Because agapeo, it never ends. Scripture says prophecies will pass away. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. Right now, we only know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, that's Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes, when I see his face, I will not be an imperfect resolution of his character anymore. Now, it's kind of hit and miss. We're working at it. None of us are perfect, but we're, we ha- we're, we're headed that way, right? But when I see him face to face, now we see in a mirror but then we will see face to face. You will look in Jesus' face. And you, when you look there, you will see the love that you and I have tried to reflect. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these. Yeah. Greatest of these is love. I'm going to flip over just briefly. First Peter chapter 2. I'll tell you where it is when I find it. About, about verse 21 is fine. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. But I just want us to... I want us to understand the example that we're supposed to exemplify. We talk in, in lofty terms... And then sometimes we think we got it. So I don't want to talk in lofty terms. I want to talk with terms Peter talked. Peter didn't have fancy words. Paul has fancy words. Peter, he's, he don't have fancy words. Listen to what Peter says. For to this you have been called. Peter's talking in 1 Peter 2 about suffering. Anybody know that they're called to suffer? <laughs> I'm sorry. If you didn't know you're called to suffer, you're called to suffer. Here's why. For to this you have been called because, this is the why, Christ suffered for you. Listen, leaving you an example, listen, so you would follow in his steps. Clear, right? You don't need me to give you no Greek words there. You understand what he's saying? So we've been called to suffer because Christ suffered for us. We're following him. So we're walking in the same path that he's walking in. He has given me an example to lift up so that I can follow in his steps. Verse 22, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit, a lie, found in his mouth. When he was reviled, when he was hated, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but rather entrusted himself into the hands of him who judges justly. Do you know who that is? Jonathan told me on that trip, 
Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I shall repay. Who is the judge? God. God. In, in, the, in the way we're talking about, I'm not talking about judging fruit, judging difference between something I should do or shouldn't do. I'm just talking about having that condemning voice. Jesus said, rather than threaten those who beat him and nailed him to the cross, rather than threaten those who abused him or hated him or tried to kill him, rather than any of those things, threatening him, doing all the things you and I have done a hundred times, Jesus said, I trust myself into the hands of my father. The Lord judge between me and you. That's how, from the cross, he could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because he trusted himself into the hands of his Father. From here, would you just flip over with me to Romans chapter 5. Sorry, Rachel. <laughs> I have 47,000 other scriptures to get to, but so far we haven't made it through the first verse. So, <clears throat> But I really want us to get this. And it, for me and you, for us. So Romans 5 verse 1 begins with this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. So let me try to simplify that. Since you are saved. So he's talking to, to brothers. Right? The brethren. The, the church. This is a message to the church. Not a message to the lost. This is a message to the church. To the saved, those justified by faith. Those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Since you have been justified by faith, he says, we have peace with God. Now, since you have been justified by faith, you now have peace with God. Before you had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, your Savior, you were at war with God. The Bible says you were at enmity. All men. And unless you have come to the Father through the blood of the Son in repentance and confession, you are not justified by faith. But if you have, the war is over. God and you are not at war anymore. We have peace with God through whom? Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, Jesus Christ, we have obtained access by faith, because we believe him, into the grace in which we stand. How do we get the grace of God that is our salvation? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He does it. We didn't do it. It is the gift of God because if it wasn't, you and I would do what? We'd boast. Boast about how smart or how great or how good, but it's not about that. It's about coming through, through Jesus Christ into the presence of a holy God by faith, standing in grace and unmerited favor that God gives us. That's his love, his, his goodness, his kindness, his gentleness, his patience for my sin, his willingness to overlook it, to cover it with the blood of Christ. He don't have to do that. He wants to do that. 
He says, not only this, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, that he would be glorified in and through us. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Are you guys doing that right now? I don't do that. I mope in my suffering. I whine in my suffering. I complain in my suffering. I do a lot of things in my suffering. Rejoicing in my suffering is more difficult. This is what he... Remember, we, we talk about keeping his word. So we rejoice in our suffering. Why? Not because it's pleasant. That's not what he says. Your suffering is pleasant. Rejoice. That's not what he said. He says, we rejoice because we know something about suffering. Suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. This is what we know. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So we rejoice in our suffering because we know our suffering is not just random. It is accomplishing a purpose through the blood of Christ by God the Father in our life. And it is taking us from suffering to hope. It's making us endure. It's making us uh, have character. It's bringing hope. And listen, hope does not put to shame. Here's a better way to say that, I think. Hope will not disappoint. The idea of shame in the Bible is this idea of this was all for nothing. Everything has been for nothing. You ever said those words? All of this was just for nothing. Might as well have never done any of this. He says, hope won't disappoint. That don't mean you're not going to be disappointed in where things land, right? If I was Noah on the ark, I'd be thinking, Lord, I'd like to land on an island of palm trees and green grass everywhere. But the Lord said, you know, you're going to land on a barren mountain with nothing on it. And then when you walk down from the mountain, you're going to have to start all over planting. Oh, could we not do it a different way? No. The Lord could have took the children of Israel from Egypt to Mount Sinai in like a week. But he spent a year and he went like this. That's the way me and Jason hunt. We walk 10 times further than we need to for the exact same amount of success. I walk a thousand miles to not get an elk, I might as well walk two steps out of my trailer, look around, say, I'm going to go back inside, walk back inside. I have the same result. <laughs> but the Lord says, no, you need the long walk. And so all along the way, the Lord brought, produced suffering, brought endurance, gave them character and hope to develop his people. Same thing he's doing in your life, same thing he's doing in my life. This hope will not disappoint. Why? This is the part we came here for. Because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's this saying that used to go around Calvary's God's commandments or God's enablements, and it's true. If the Lord says, I want you to love because God is love and love is from God, 
then he gives you the love he wants you to be able to express. How does he give it to me? Through his Holy Spirit who's in my life. The moment we give our, put our trust, uh, we repent and believe the Lord, salvation enters in, the Holy Spirit takes up residence right then, right now. And what is it that the Holy Spirit does? Many things, but one of the things is he pours the love of God in you. So you can pour the love of God out. He pours that love in us. And we want to be able to express it. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Now you know what love is. You know where this love comes from. And then he says this, Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The way you're able to express this love is through the Holy Spirit, which only enters into the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit does not express this love into the life of an unbeliever. You say, I've seen unbelievers be loving, but you have not seen them use agape. Sorry. That love is only expressed into believers in the church through the Holy Spirit. And when you express that love, when you are rightly reflecting the character, glory, and love of Christ, when you rightly reflect that stuff, people will look at you and say, that's a follower of Jesus. Did that ever happen before? Man, we get into, we get into Jesus, he's, he ascends, the disciples start, well, Jesus said to, to preach, so they start preaching, you have the day of Pentecost, a lot of people get saved, as soon as a lot of people get saved, we got problems. Why? Because we all came. We, we are there. I'm sure you think you don't have any problems. Everybody else does. We bring our problems with us. Wherever I go, I can't run from my problems. They're always there. So I have to surrender those things to Christ. So the people come in, the church is, has a little bit of, of you know, struggles and difficulties read acts chapter 5 you'll you'll see about it and then we see the disciples just back up in acts chapter 4 we see the disciples are going around to the temple and they're preaching they don't have their own church so they're just going to the temple and having church so they go to the temple and they stand in the courtyard of the temple and they just start preaching about jesus and and it makes everybody mad well not everybody the people who get saved aren't mad but the people who aren't they get mad and so they take them and they beat them, and they bring them before the council. <clears throat> the same people who beat Jesus, beat the disciples. They bring them before the council, and they said, these guys were with Jesus. And it's not because of the words they said. It was because the love of God was poured out in our life by the Holy Spirit. Those guys took their beating, the same Peter who wrote the scripture that we just read, in a way that glorified God. Because they saw Jesus take his beating, entrusting himself to his Father. And then they took their beating, entrusting themselves to the Father. And the reflection of the character of Jesus Christ in their life made people say, You were with Jesus. And that needs to be here. That needs to come 
out of me that needs to come out of you. We've been talking in the, in the past, I shared with you about some bitterness issues and unforgiveness, and you're not ever going to get there if you don't deal with those parts. You can't, you can't drag that stuff with you. You want to look and, and reflect the character of God. So without saying a word, I'm not telling you not to use words. I'm saying without saying a word, people should see your love one for another and say, you have been with Jesus. That is not currently the witness, is it? The witness is supposed to be, you have been with Jesus. We're reflecting that love of Christ to one another. And so we want that love to be, to be received and honored. Why? Because the Lord says, whoever loves this way is born of God and knows God. You know God when you love like God. 1 Corinthians 13, definition of love. You know God when you love like him. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We want, we need to get out of our own way. Friends, we need to get out of our own way. We need to get out of our own heads. We need to get out of our own whatever word you want to use, whatever thing is holding you back, the sin that so easily ensnares us. We need to get out of our way from all that stuff. We need to take all that stuff and say, I want to love like Christ. I, you want, to, you want to, to straighten things out? Hallelujah, straighten things out like Christ. Whatever you do, reflect him. It's interesting because a lot of times when I talk like this, people say, well, you know, Jesus went to the temple. He flipped over tables. Yeah, Jesus ain't afraid of making a mess. Don't be afraid of making a mess. He flipped over tables and then he set the birds free. You ever paid attention to that? Usually if I start flipping tables, things get broke. Jesus flipped tables and then he opened cages. Those are two different actions. And you know the funny thing about it? I, I, I'm, I don't know how he did it. I wasn't there. The people he flipped, that's not the ones the Bible says were mad. The Bible says the ones that were mad were the guys who were running the people who he flipped the tables. How did he do that? All I know is if I've ever flipped a table, I made everybody around the table mad. But there was something anointed about the things Christ did. So you do whatever God has anointed you to do in the power and glory and, and reflection of Christ. And if that means you flip tables, flip tables. That means whatever it means, whatever it looks like. Do it reflecting his love. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you. That word new means fresh. We talked about it when we went through John. It's a fresh perspective. It's not a new commandment. The Bible tells us in Leviticus to love one another. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. But here's the new part, the fresh part. Like 
I loved you. How are we supposed to love each other? The way Jesus loved you. How did Jesus love you? That's how you're supposed to love others. And by this, Jesus said, all people will know you are my disciples. They will say, you've been with Jesus. I've seen this, so I know it exists. I've seen this. I, I have an uncle who, whose life I tried to ruin. He had an auto, uh, auto shop, and I like to drive like an idiot. So I thought I should get a job there. He worked on Mercedes, Porsche, BMW. So it was a paradise for me. If you brought your Porsche 911 into my uncle's shop, I took it as fast as it would go in third gear up to Big Bear. And just so you know, a Porsche will go fast in third gear. I drop cars off of lifts. I don't think I ever wrecked one, but I probably ruined a lot. I had a Triumph TR6 I was test driving, and I did so many burnouts, I ripped the rear end out, and it, the, no, not the gears, the rear end fell off the car. And my uncle corrected me, and he did all the things that he needed to do with me. He was a he was a very godly man, but I never one time, never one time, the whole time I worked for him from a sophomore until I went into Marine Corps, never once did I not feel that he loved me. Now, I don't have relationships that are like that where, where people have that same feeling, which means I look and I go, it's possible. My uncle loved Jesus. Oh, my gosh, he loved Jesus. And he loved me. And he was, I never one time, he never yelled at me. I don't remember, I don't remember what he said. It was probably like, oh, Jackie. Oh, Jackie. When are you going into Marine Corps to hurry up? <laughs> it's possible to love that way. And I guess the point as we look at this circling back that John does talking about love. I want to love like him. I want to love like Jesus. And so I'm going to take my understanding of how Jesus loves, and I'm going to try to reflect that, which goes totally against all of my character. But I won't say the words I can't because we've read how God gives me that love by his Holy Spirit. He will empower me to do it. I just have to want to obey. Anybody ever had their want to broken? I have to want to obey. John said, 1 John 3.11, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Paul wrote in Romans 12.10, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's, that's quite the challenge, isn't it? Outdo one another in being honorable to one another, in honoring. Ephesians 4, 2 says, With all humility and gentleness and patience, bear with one another in love. Peter writes in one twenty two, Having purified your souls by the obedience of the truth 
for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He also writes in 1 Peter 3.8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This commandment's not going away. I obviously am not going to finish 1 John 4. And if you read verse 9, it starts with, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. That's not so that we might live eternally in heaven. That's now. So we can live through him. He sent his son into the world that we can have life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life. You guys have heard the verse, huh? I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. That life is in Christ. John started in 1 John chapter 1 that, our, that the answer to all these things is the word of life, which is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of God in him. Man, he's, he's telling us that we live through him. We have our being through him. And I'm not saying this because I have this incredible victory and I wish you'd all keep up. I'm saying this because my life, I'm going through this. And I want to be loving. And I want to be merciful and graceful with everybody. I don't want to have partiality from one to another. I just, I just want to be able to hear someone say, you were with Jesus today. Most of the time they say, you're kind of grumpy today. <laughs> or, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Or, why so sad? Or, whatever. But they don't say, Oh, you've been with Jesus. And don't go running around lying to one another saying it when they ain't doing it neither. <laughs> Do it. Do it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. I want to have that love. I've experienced that love because God gave it to me, but I want to express that love. We're going to talk over uh, from verse 9 next time, but... But I just want you to hear it. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us. And he made his son to be our sin substitute. That's what that means. He sent his son to be the propitiation. Atonement. He gave us peace with God by the sacrifice of his son. 
a willing sacrifice that his son willingly gave because he loves us. And then he gives us that love. And that love is not to excuse sin, right? We already read that in the definition of love. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, right? It's not about excusing sin or or not telling somebody if they're wrong. The Bible says if you come to the altar and there you remember that you have something against your brother, take it to your brother and then return to the altar. So yeah, we, we have to say those things. And when we take those things to our brothers, what are we supposed to do? If you've offended a brother, you don't, you don't get the right. If you are the one who has offended, you don't get the right to say, no, I didn't. The offending party says, you offended me. It doesn't matter if you think it's just or, or whatever. It doesn't, does not matter at all. When he says, you have offended me for A, B, C, D, whatever, your answer is, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That's the answer. That's how you win a brother. That's how you stay connected. That's how you keep away from bitterness and, and all those other things that get in our way. God has given us all of that. The Lord doesn't excuse our sin. You can only be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you must receive that gift that Christ has given by faith. You must repent of your sin, turn from your sin, turn toward Christ, lift up your hands like a little child, and ask, Daddy, save me. And he will. He'll cover you in the blood of Christ, his son who freely died for your wretched sin and mine. And he will pour this love in your life. And now we have to decide we're going to be channels of the love of God. I enjoy the love of God. Mercy, grace, forgiveness. Man, I soak it up. But he said that love's poured out into our lives so that it can flow out to one another. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Oh, Father God, you know our hearts. We can't hide them from you. You're aware of who we are, how we feel, what we think. You never tell us to take all that stuff and fix it. You tell us to bring all that stuff to the foot of the cross where my Savior died for my sin. And I lay it there with him and I recognize my shortcomings, my failures, my struggles. God, you want to be visible in your church. So many people think 
that God is visible by the show. He's visible by the lights. He's visible in that big fiery ball that comes down out of heaven. But when the Lord showed Elijah that, the Bible says the Lord was not in it. Some people think the Lord is in the miraculous, the healings and the and the special anointings of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and giving prophecy and, and all of those things, that that's how the Lord is going to reveal himself. But when Elijah was in the cave, when the wind blew, the wind, the symbol of the Spirit, the wind blew, a mighty wind blowing through. But the Bible says the Lord was not in the wind. He was that stable, still, small voice. And all I hear that voice say is my little children love one another. The way God is reflected in his church will be when the church so loves one another, outdoing one another to honor the other, extending and reaching out hands of kindness and tenderness, forgiveness for one another. Then the world is going to say, I want that. I've experienced the love of the world. I've chased it. I've run after it. I've sacrificed things to it. But there is nothing that has satisfied my life like Christ. So, Lord, we pray in this place we would become such a fountain for the love of God that we have to do messages that start with stop loving so much. But I don't think we need that yet. I pray, Lord, just like when Moses called the people and he said, hey, we're going to build a temple for God, so, so bring me whatever silver gold you have so we can use precious materials for building and the people gave so much Moses said stop giving that's how I hope we learn to express love I hope we can hear the voice of John as an old man saying my little children love one another I hope we don't make excuses for our failures, but rather we make confession. And we seek the strength that comes from God by his spirit to do so. And in the end, we will glorify him by what we have done. So God, move in this place. Meet us here. Be glorified and magnified. In Jesus' name we pray.